an appointment with the appointed one. Hebrews chapter 1, beginning to read at verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Our second reading is in Hebrews chapter 9, please. Just one verse. Hebrews 9 and verse 27. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. But as, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Let us pray. Father, even as we have been singing, we bow down and confess. You are Lord in this place. You are Lord over all the earth. And you are Lord over all creation. You are the great Lord, the living God. We thank the Lord that you have, Lord, seen fit to come and visit this house again with your immediate, your manifest, your tangible felt presence. We love your Son, the Lord Jesus. And we ask you, Father, now to seal our hearts with your presence and seal our minds that no distracting thoughts or opposing spirits, Lord, could hinder the Word of God. We pray in Jesus' name that the blood will be applied to this meeting. The blood of Jesus will be applied to this house, to this people. The blood will be applied to someone's heart tonight. The blood will be applied for the cleansing of their sin. Lord, we worship you. We exalt you. Glorify and magnify you. For there's no one like the Lord. We ask all this, Father, giving you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. An appointment with the appointed one. And Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. Here is an appointment for every single one of us. It's death, should our Lord tarry. And death really is a door that leads us into that appointment when we will all stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account of our lives. 
the book of Hebrews was originally written to those who had come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus, especially from a, a religious a Jewish background especially. And through hardship and persecution and trial, many, if you want, of the young converts who had not had time to grow in their faith had started to waver and to wane. And even doubting came into them, resulting in some of them returning to the old religion of Judaism. And Judaism, which they turned to, was not the original Hebraic or Israelitish form of worship which God had ordained with ancient Israel. This Judaism was a mongrelized, to use a, a, a nicer word, was a mongrelized religion of the mysteries of Babylon brought in from the Jews who had intermarried and who had brought the mysteries of Babylon, the Babylonian Talmud, into the form of worship that we read of Ezra and Nehemiah coming, the, the purer form of worship. And it mongrelized and it tore down all things that God had wanted for worship. The time the Lord Jesus Christ had come, many other things had been added into it. And the Lord Jesus speaks about the traditions of men and the commandments of men. And he, he especially is the one who speaks against those things. So when Christ comes and sheds his blood as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, the Redeemer of Israel and the Savior of the whosoever, we find that people have now come through the preaching of the word, got saved, or trusted in Christ, and now, because of pressure and all things that were happening to them, they were finding themselves walking away from Christ and going back to that old religion. So the Hebrew writer, I personally believe it was Paul, uh, but I'll just try and call him the Hebrew writer, see if any, anybody coming to argue with me, okay. But the Hebrew writer, the sacred writer of this book, he writes to them and he gives them instruction. And the instruction he gives them is to show them the authority that is in Christ, their authority in Christ, the power that is in Christ, and also the superiority of, if you want, we can call it Christianity, although they were first called Christians in Antioch, we know that, but the superiority of following the way. That's what they called the young converts or the, the early church, followers of the way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And these were followers of the way. But Christ is held up above all others, above all else, and above all things. And the, and the writer is telling them, you're backsliding to a system, to a religion, to a faith that is not real, that cannot save, trusting in your own works and in a false way. That's the idea for the writing of the book of Hebrews. And it, it gets to me, I don't know why, I've mentioned this before, it gets to me why so-called evangelical or especially Pentecostal pastors 
are trying to bring Jews to become Jews again, to worship Judaism, because it's over and done and obsolete in Christ. And that's the reason this book had been written, the book of Hebrews. So they were turning to this, and the the writer holds up the superiority of Christ over all things, the superiority of Christianity over Judaism, because Christ was the foundation of this faith. He is the cornerstone and the capstone of this newfound faith, and Christianity is all of these because Christ himself is all of these. The writer expresses in all of this that Christ came fulfilling the law that we so miserably failed in. And he also came fulfilling the prophecies concerning himself, concerning and conquering our sin. He came freely providing eternal life for you and me when he died on the cross and rose again on the third day. The sacred writer points out the exclusiveness of Christ and the superiority of Christ and his new covenant. You know, today it's thought that to say that Christ is exclusive, that Christ is superiority is not politically correct, and that all faiths are going up the same mountain, heading the same direction to heaven, as they would say. But exclusively, the Bible tells us Christ and Christ alone is the only way. He alone and none other. So here we want to look at just for an introduction before we go further in to what the scriptures are saying about the appointed with the appointment, the, the appointment with the appointed one. What I want to look at is that first of all, the scriptures tell us that Christ that Jesus is greater than the prophets. Let's look at our first reading, please, in Hebrews chapter 1. God, who at sundry times in divers manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. We think of Hosea and Amos and Isaiah and Jeremiah and David and all the prophets, how they spake unto Israel and preaching repentance, preaching that the king was coming, preaching that they were to live a right life, to cast out the heathen from the land on all forms of idolatry, and that Christ is the only way, that he who is to come is the God, the only God of Israel. And those prophets spoke of him. They spoke of the Lord Jesus Christ, speaking and pointing toward him, the Hebrew writer looks back and says that God in sundry times and divers' manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Now he turns in verse 2 and he shows the superiority of the Lord Jesus Christ over all the prophets multiplied together. He says, Half in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. In other words, the one who was crucified is the Son of God. The one who was crucified and bare our sin in his own body is greater than all the prophets, so he is more than a prophet. Jesus is superior and greater than the prophets. Secondly, the writer tells us that Jesus is greater than the angels. 
People like angel worship today. They talk about angels. I've heard people talk about angels coming and leaving feathers. Come off it. Have you ever heard the like of it in your life? Angels coming and dropping a feather. It's probably out of your cushion. Notice this. In our, in, in, in our chapter, chapter 1, verse 4 says, And being made so much better than the angels. Notice Jesus being made so much better than the angels as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Here the writer tells us, you read on to verse 7, how Jesus is greater than the angels of God. So Jesus is more than a prophet, and Jesus is more than an angelic being. Notice what it says in verse 5. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee, and again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith that all the angels of God worship him. Now only God in Scripture is worthy of worship. God in the Old Testament told Israel that the only one to be worshipped was he himself, Almighty God. You know what this tells me? That when God's Word tells us that the angels of God, the angels who are in heaven, not the fallen angels who are cast out, that across all of glory, he is to be worshipped, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is Almighty God. Let me read on. Whenever the Lord Jesus came, in verse 3 of our reading, it tells us that he is the brightness of God's glory. He is the express image of God's person, and he upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand, of the majesty on high. Here we're told that the Lord Jesus himself is God with a face, that the Lord Jesus himself is the fullness of God in bodily form, that the Lord Jesus himself, who walked the scene of time and hung on a cross, purged our sins by his giving of his life's blood on Calvary's tree, Almighty God on the cross of Calvary. And when he was risen from the dead, this verse tells me he has ascended into heaven and that he sits down at the right hand of the majesty or in the place of power, it means, and glory in the heavens. Here is the Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior. Here is the one who died for you and me. Here is the one who came and shed his blood that you and I might be forgiven. Thirdly, this writer tells us that Jesus is greater than Moses. Moses who talked with God face to face. Moses who saw the glory of God come down at the door of the tabernacle. Moses who saw the waters open of the Red Sea. Moses who was used in sign, gift, miracle ministry 
in Israel, we're told that this man, Jesus, is greater than Moses. Hebrews chapter 3, please. And let's read from verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. He's saying, I want you to take a moment. I want you to take a while. I want you to sit and to think. I want you to ponder and to meditate the chew the cud, as it were, according to the word of God and the spirit of the Lord. I want you to consider the apostle, he who started all things, upholds all things, who has accomplished all things. He says he is that apostle. He is our high priest who stands in the glory, ministering and praying in our behalf, the profession of our faith, he says, think about him. Take a moment in your mind and think about Christ. Notice what he says here, who was faithful to him that appointed him. Here we're told Jesus is the appointed one. He was faithful to him that appointed him. And then he goes on to say, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. Now, whenever we're looking at this, we must also look at how Moses was faithful, but yet failed at the rock when he smote the rock to bring forth the waters rather than speak to it. But Moses was counted faithful before God in his house. Now it tells us that Jesus is counted faithful, but Jesus is greater, superior than Moses. This word is going to men and women who are falling away from Christ and turning to Judaism. That's what this word is for. And it's for you tonight who are falling away from Christ, maybe backslidden in heart, and turning to other things, and trusting in other things, and turning and receiving other things as though they are from God. There is nothing that you and I can do to merit salvation, nor no other power to keep us but the power of God and the blood of the Lamb. Here he says, Look at Moses was faithful, but now I consider Christ. Who was faithful that appointed him. As also Moses was faithful in all his house. Verse 3. For this man, the Lord Jesus, was counted worthy of much more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who had builded the house hath more honor than the house. What does he mean? He means that Christ was the master builder. And Moses was just part of it. From the church in the wilderness to the church in the upper room, he says Moses was faithful in his calling. He was part of the plan. But Christ is the master builder, almighty God. That's what he's saying here. He is the one who is faithful to you and to me this evening and in all our ways. So, fourthly, it tells us that Jesus is better than Joshua. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 4, please. Verse 1. Let us therefore fear, lest the promise being left of us entering into his rest. Any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we have, been, we have believed, 
we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on the wise, and God did rest on the seventh day. Notice the word rest here. God mentions this word over and over again. In fact, from verses 1 to 13, rest is mentioned nine times in 13 verses. Nine times in 13 verses. He was speaking to a people who were unsatisfied. Can I ask you a question tonight? Are you satisfied with Christ? Do we need to look for any more than him? Do we need to trust in anything else but him? Are you satisfied in Christ? I none but Christ can satisfy. None other name for me. There's love and life and lasting joy, Lord Jesus, found in thee. These Israelites were unsatisfied, unfulfilled. They were not mixed with faith when they came to the rest, meaning meaning Canaan land, the promised land. And they were not mixed with faith to take it in the name of the Lord. Can I ask you, is is your heart mixed with faith or full of faith? That you'll step out for Christ and that you'll go and do things that you haven't done before for Jesus, for his glory and for his honor. That you'll stand out and step out in faith and trust in him to see things happen in your life and to see things happen in others' lives. Here, we look at how Jesus is better or greater than Joshua. Just let your eye run down for time's sake to verse 8. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that has entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. Here we're told, the word Jesus here is not the Lord Jesus Christ, by the way. The Jesus here is Joshua in the Old Testament. This is the Greek form. I don't know why the translators didn't put Joshua in. But this is speaking of Joshua leading them to the Canaan land, the promised land. And when he gets there, he sends the spies. They come back with a bad report and they end up touring around the wilderness. And the original generation did not make it for they wandered away from faith in God. Here we're told that like the Lord rested on the seventh day, that in Jesus He is greater than Joshua as our leader, and that in Jesus his rest is greater, for the rest in Joshua was a temporal rest. It was a carnal rest. It was a material rest. But the rest in Christ leads to a permanent and eternal and a spiritual rest. And just as God rested on the seventh day, the idea is that in Jesus so you can rest in him and be secure in your salvation. You see, you can't have rest unless you know Jesus. And unless you're fully trusting in him, you'll find there is none other rest. What did our Lord say to his disciples? Peace I leave with you. My peace give I unto you. You see, the Lord gives us peace that the world cannot understand. 
And the Lord gives us peace that the world cannot comprehend because we're resting in a rest which Jesus has given. And it's above all other rest. Here's another one. The Hebrew writer explains that Jesus, his high priestly ministry is better than that of Aaron's and the high priestly ministry of all who followed Aaron. Hebrews 7, please, and verse 17, just for time's sake. For he testified, that God testifies of his Son. For he testifieth, thou art a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. Notice here, the Melchizedek priesthood took over that which was of the Aaronic priesthood, because Aaron and his family became the high priest, or the priest of Israel, went in to shed the blood once a year for the redemption and remission of sin. But the Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest, who stands in the glory, who we are told to consider that apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, he stands there permanently, eternally, offering up his own sacrifice of his own self. And even as the hymn writer says, there for me the Savior stands. He shows his wounds and spreads his hands. God is love, I know, I feel. Jesus lives and loves me still. The Melchizedek priesthood is a, is a continual, perpetual priesthood that Christ, the Son of God, stands before the Father as our great high priest and he's interceding on your behalf and he's interceding on my behalf. He is praying for you this evening. He says to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Here, Peter, his courage went, but his faith never. It could never win because Christ was praying for him. Do you know when you're going through your hard times and you can't seem to reach heaven, and you're going through the difficult times, and you can't seem to reach God. You don't have to. He's already in you. And Christ is praying for you. Trust Him. Don't walk away from Him. Trust Him with all your heart. You see, we're told in verse 24 of Hebrews 7, but this man became, because he continueth forever, notice that, hath an unchangeable priesthood. He doesn't change even when we do. Wherefore, he is also able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Aaron died and his sons took over. And then later years you read of old Eli and Phineas and Hopni, and sure they were corrupt of the core. And we hear about all of these priests and they come and they die and they move on to the next one and the next one and the next one and it's a, it's a perpetual family line but the one true priesthood that is the Melchizedek priesthood, he who is without beginning and ending, no lineage of mother and father, the Lord Jesus Christ is in the glory praying for you and me tonight. He's praying for you. He's saying, Father, they're trusting in me. Jesus' priesthood is better than the Aaronic priesthood. Here's another one. Number six, Jesus brings a better covenant than the old. Hebrews 8 and verse 6, please. Hebrews 8 and verse 6. 
But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant. Notice the words, a better covenant, which was established, established upon better promises. Here the Lord Jesus has shed his blood, and once and for all, there's no more sacrifice for sin. He's obtained a more excellent ministry, and also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. Do you see the do you see the, the, the positiveness of that? Do you see the strength in that verse? When you look at Christ and what he's done for us on the cross, listen, excellent ministry, better covenant, and better promises in the Lord Jesus Christ. That when we're saved, we're secure. When a man and a woman are saved, and, and I know we fall away, there's, there are genuine, if I can call it, backsliders, men and women who have, who have fallen away and still have that deep word experience in their heart and they are never plucked from the from from the father's hand neither are they plucked from the savior's hand and god continues to hold on to them because of his love and his grace and his mercy and his kindness and his goodness and his compassion and thank god he does for i sin and fail every single day and so do you so do you we all backslide in heart at times. Every single one of us. Our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. And I try the reins, he says. Only God knows your heart. In fact, God knows your heart better than you know your own. The, the apostles or the disciples at the time around, the time when he was breaking the bread and he gives the uh, he, he gives that wonderful discourse of, of that he was going to the cross. And he says to the disciples, one of you is a devil and betray me again. They even looked at themselves and they asked themselves, is it I? I don't even know my own heart, Lord. Thank the Lord he holds on to us. that we don't hold on to him. Seventh, Jesus is better than the covenant. Uh, the old covenant, and seventh, Jesus has entered into a better sanctuary. The sanctuary of the tabernacle on earth was worldly until God came down in his glory and sanctified it upon the ark of the covenant. It was a worldly tabernacle. It was a badger skin tent. That's all it was, surrounded by sand. But when the glory of God came down, it sanctified it. The burning bush was just a bush and fire, but it was fire with the fire of God, and it's sanctified there. The 120 in the upper room were just sinners saved by grace, but the Holy Ghost came and sanctified them. You see, it's the Holy Ghost that makes the difference in the life. And here we have a better sanctuary, because Christ has ascended into the heavens. Hebrews 9 and verse 24, please. Hebrews 9 and verse 24, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Isn't that lovely? Isn't that beautiful? Isn't it powerful? That he's talking about, look, you're looking to go to the old temple. You're looking to go when the curtain has been rent from the top to the bottom. You're looking to go and worship a dead, old, lifeless religion. He says you're looking to go back the way instead of moving into life in Christ. 
He's saying Christ is not in the temple and he's not in a tabernacle in the wilderness. He's ascended into glory. He's ascended into a heavenly sanctuary and he's appearing before God for you and me. This is the high priestly ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. His sanctuary is better. Eighthly, his sacrifice is better and superior than all animal sacrifices. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5 to 9. We'll just read a couple of verses for time's sake. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offerings thou wouldest not. Take note. Remember, he's speaking to these who were going back to Judaism to start slaying animals again. That's all you hear, a new temple slaying animals. Listen. It's already done. It's all been paid for. It's already done in Christ. The Lamb of God has been slain, not another animal. There is no other sacrifice for sin, for Christ has paid it all. Notice what he says here in verse 5. Let's read it again. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. God has no pleasure in any other sacrifice. God has no pleasure in your works, nor your alms, or your giving, or your deeds, or your charity, or your good personage, or or being a good citizen, or being a good father, or a good mother, or a nice person. There's nothing pleases God but the blood of Jesus. It's all in the blood of Christ. And the writer tells us here, he says to us that God is not pleased with anything but the blood of his Son. He takes no pleasure in it. Let's go on then uh, for a moment. So Jesus' sacrifice is greater and more superior than the animal sacrifice. You know, old Isaac Watts wrote the hymn, Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. But Christ, the heavenly Lamb, takes all our sins away, a sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. The blood of Jesus. So, to round this up, that's my introduction. We'll have to do part two next week. I'll round this up and we'll do part two next week of the appointed one. Jesus is greater than the prophets. Acts chapter 10 and verse 43 says this of Christ. To him. To Jesus. I'm told that there's an old church somewhere in England. I've just heard someone speak on it. And along every window, while we have windows on each side, in this old church there are stained glass windows up every side. Starting at the doors when you come in, there's a prophet on every window, a depiction of a, a prophet. And up at the very top end of, well, it's an old church, there would be an altar there. And up at the top end of that altar, there's another stained glass window on a depiction, I call it an idol, but we'll just for, time, for, for talk's sake, 
is a depiction of Christ. And every one of those windows, the whole way up on both sides, when you walk in, there's a scripture and a prophet. And every prophet is pointing up towards the altar. And every one of their, 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 their windows that they're painted on or their stained glass on, this scripture is something they have, the prophets have spoken of and yet pointing with their finger to the top of the altar of the church. And when the time you get up, you're reading the prophets and you're seeing them pointing the whole way up. And by the time you come up, you see this depiction of Christ in a stained glass window. And above him says this, Acts 10 and 43, to him, give all the prophets witness. To him, give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. And the word sins here, we have dealt with it in depth in Bible study. But it's the word harmartia or harmatia. And it means to miss the mark. It means to violate and transgress God's law. It means those of us and every single one of us who have fallen and failed at it says we have missed the mark. Christ, the Lamb of God, the Son of God, was prophesied of and he came, knowing that you and I would be in our sin and dead in our sins. And in that being God himself, whosoever believeth in him shall have remission of their violations. The prophets... Jesus is greater than them. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Joshua. His rest is greater. His priesthood is greater. His covenant is greater. His sanctuary is greater. His sacrifice is greater. Jesus is greater. If I have Jesus, Jesus only, I possess a cluster rare. I close with this. Thank you for your attention. Now on this premise, now on all that has gone before and said that Jesus is greater, there is no excuse to be lost in the day of judgment. Everything has been taken care of. It's all been done. When Christ cried, it is finished. Our sins were paid in full. But the personal repentance and acceptance of Christ is down to you if the Spirit is touching your heart. It's down to you. In fact, in Genesis chapter 4, we read of Cain and Abel bringing their sacrifices before God. Abel's was accepted and Cain's was rejected. Abel came as God had ordained. 
Abel came as God had said. He had obeyed the word of God and he came with the blood of a lamb poured out before God as an atonement for the sin. Abel came hard work, sweat of his brow. And in man's economy, we would accept what Cain had done. But God said, that's not the way to come. You come my way. And God's way is the way, the truth, and the life through Christ. He says, Cain, he says in Genesis 4 and 7, if thou doest well, shalt not thou be accepted, but if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. I've heard all different explanations for this. Most of them are rubbish in any way. Sin lieth at the door. Do you know what it means? Cain, you've been told how to come. And on that day, if you're rejected, blame no one but yourself, for you know it's only through the blood of a lamb. And the sin will lie at your own door. God will be justified. I trust tonight, because we'll start there next week, in the Lord's will, start there next week and there's an appointment that we'll all keep with the appointed one but let's stay focused on Christ let's keep him center of all that we are and if you are not saved you have to come God's way not your way or my way or anybody else's way but through the blood of the Lamb and if not then on that day sin laugh at your own door going to go